0: chapter two of the life of washington volume three by john marshall this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter two count de stang arrives with a french fleet meditates an attack on the british fleet in new york harbor relinquishes it sails to rhode island lord howe appears off rhode island both fleets dispersed by a storm General Sullivan lays siege to Newport. D'Estaing returns, sails for Boston. Sullivan expresses his dissatisfaction in general orders. Raises the siege of Newport. Action on Rhode Island. The Americans retreat to the continent. Count D'Estaing expresses his dissatisfaction with Sullivan in a letter to Congress. General Washington labors successfully to heal these discontents. Lord Howe resigns the command of the British fleet colonel baylor's regiment surprised captain de defeated by colonel butler expedition of the british against egg harbor pulaski surprised seventeen seventy eight july before general washington could reach the ground he designed to occupy intelligence was received that a powerful french fleet under the command of the count d'estaing had appeared off Chinkatig inlet the northern extremity of the coast of virginia count d'estaing arrives on the coast of virginia with a french fleet under his command he meditates an attack on the british fleet at new york but is obliged to relinquish it the count had sailed from toulon on the thirteenth of april with twelve ships of the line and six frigates having on board a respectable body of land forces his destination was the delaware and he hoped to find the british fleet in that river and their army in philadelphia an uncommon continuance of adverse winds protracted his voyage across the atlantic to the extraordinary length of eighty-seven days this unusual circumstance saved the british fleet and army on reaching the capes of the delaware the count announced his arrival to congress and having failed in accomplishing his first object proceeded along the coast to new york in the hope of being able to attack the british fleet in the harbor of that place sir henry clinton was again indebted to some fortunate incidents for his safety the violent storms of the preceding winter had broken through the narrow isthmus by which sandy hook was connected with the continent and had converted the peninsula into an island this rendered it necessary for the army to pass from the main to the hook on a bridge of boats which would have been impracticable if obstructed by a superior fleet it was effected the very day on which d'estaing appeared off Chincoteague inlet july thirteenth at Paramus, in jersey general washington received a letter from the president of congress advising him of this important event and requesting that he would concert measures with the count for conjoint and offensive operations the next day he received a second letter on the same subject enclosing two resolutions one directing him to cooperate with the french admiral and the other authorizing him to call on the states from new hampshire to new jersey inclusive for such aids of militia as he might deem necessary for the operations of the allied arms he determined to proceed immediately to the white plains whence the army might cooperate with more facility in the execution of any attempt which might be made by the fleet and dispatched lieutenant colonel lawrence one of his aides-de-camp with all the information relative to the enemy as well as to his own army which might be useful to distang lieutenant colonel lawrence was authorized to consult on future conjoint operations and to establish conventional signals for the purpose of facilitating the communication of intelligence the french admiral on arriving off the hook dispatched major de choisy a gentleman of his family to general washington for the purpose of communicating fully his views and his strength his first object was to attack new york if this should be found impracticable he was desirous of turning his attention to rhode island to assist in coming to a result in these enterprises general washington dispatched lieutenant-colonel hamilton with such farther communications as had been suggested by inquiries made since the departure of lieutenant-colonel lawrence fearing that the water on the bar at the entrance of the harbour was not of sufficient depth to admit the passage of the largest ships of the french fleet without much difficulty and danger general washington had turned his attention to other objects which might be eventually pursued general sullivan who commanded the troops in rhode island was directed to prepare for an enterprise against newport and the marquis de lafayette was detached with two brigades to join him at providence july twenty one the next day lieutenant colonel hamilton returned to camp with the final determination of the count de stang to relinquish the meditated attack on the fleet in the harbor of new york in consequence of the impracticability Of passing the bar general greene was immediately ordered to rhode island of which state he was a native and lieutenant colonel lawrence was directed to attach himself to the french admiral and to facilitate all his views by procuring whatever might give them effect after which he was to act with the army under sullivan sails out to rhode island and arrives off newport the resolution being taken to proceed against rhode island the fleet got under way and on the twenty fifth of july appeared off newport and cast anchor about five miles from that place just without Brenton's ledge soon after which general sullivan went on board the admiral and concerted with him a plan of operations for the allied forces the fleet was to enter the harbor and land the troops of his christian majesty on the west side of the island a little to the north of dyer's island the americans were to land at the same time on the opposite coast under cover of the guns of a frigate although the appearance of the french fleet had animated the whole country and had produced a considerable degree of alacrity for the service although the success of the enterprise essentially depended on maintaining a superiority at sea which there was much reason to apprehend would soon be wrested from them yet such are the delays inseparable from measures to bring husbandmen into the field as soldiers that the operations against newport were suspended for several days on this account as the militia of new hampshire and massachusetts approached general sullivan joined general greene at tiverton and it was agreed with the admiral that the fleet should enter the main channel immediately and that the descent should be made the succeeding day august eighth the ships of war passed the british batteries and entered the harbor without receiving or doing any considerable damage the militia not arriving precisely at the time they were expected general sullivan could not hazard the movement which had been concerted and stated to the count the necessity of postponing it till the next day meanwhile the preparations for the descent being perceived general piggott drew the troops which had been stationed on the north end of the island into the lines at newport on discovering this circumstance the next morning sullivan determined to avail himself of it and to take immediate possession of the works which had been abandoned august ninth the whole army crossed the east passage and landed on the north end of rhode island this movement gave great offence to the admiral who resented the indelicacy supposed to have been committed by sullivan in landing before the french and without consulting him unfortunately some difficulties on subjects of mere punctilio had previously arisen the count d'estaing was a land as well as sea officer and held the high rank of lieutenant-general in the service of france sullivan being only a major-general some misunderstanding on this delicate point had been apprehended and general washington had suggested to him the necessity of taking every precaution to avoid it this it was supposed had been effected in their first conference in which it was agreed that the americans should land first after which the french should land to be commanded by the count d'estaing in person the motives for this arrangement are not stated but it was most probably made solely with a view to the success of the enterprise either his own after reflections or the suggestions of others dissatisfied the count with it and he insisted that the descent should be made on both sides of the island precisely at the same instant and that one wing of the american army should be attached to the french and land with them he also declined commanding in person and wished the marquis de Lafayette to take charge of the french troops as well as of the americans attached to them it being feared that this alteration of the plan might endanger both its parts d'estaing was prevailed on to reduce his demand from one wing of the american army to one thousand militia when afterwards general sullivan crossed over into the island before the time to which he had himself postponed the descent and without giving previous notice to the count of this movement some suspicions seemed to have been excited that the measure was taken with other views than were avowed and no inconsiderable degree of excitement was manifested the count refused to answer sullivan's letter and charged lieutenant-colonel Fleury, who delivered it with being more an american than a frenchman at this time a british fleet appeared which after sailing close into the land and communicating with general pigott withdrew some distance and came to anchor off point judith just without the narrow inlet leading into the harbor after it had been ascertained that the destination of the count d'estaing was america he was followed by a squadron of twelve ships of the line under admiral byron who was designed to relieve lord howe that nobleman having solicited his recall the vessels composing this squadron meeting with weather unusually bad for the season and being separated in different storms arrived after lingering through a tedious passage in various degrees of distress on different and remote parts of the american coast between the departure of d'estaing from the hook on the twenty third of july and the thirtieth of that month four ships of sixty four and fifty guns arrived at sandy hook this addition to the british fleet though it left lord howe considerably inferior to the count d'estaing determined him to attempt the relief of newport he sailed from new york on the sixth of august and on the ninth appeared in sight of the french fleet before intelligence of his departure could be received by the admiral sails to attack lord howe who appears off rhode island august ten at the time of his arrival the wind set directly into the harbour so that it was impossible to get out of it but it shifted suddenly to the northeast the next morning and the count determined to stand out to sea and give battle previous to leaving port he informed general sullivan that on his return he would land his men as that officer should advise not choosing to give the advantage of the weather-gauge lord howe also weighed anchor and stood out to sea he was followed by d'estaing and both fleets were soon out of sight the militia were now arrived and sullivan's army amounted to ten thousand men some objections were made by lafayette to his commencing operations before the return of d'estaing that officer advised that the army should be advanced to a position in the neighbourhood of newport but should not break ground until the count should be in readiness to act in concert with them it was extremely desirable to avoid whatever might give offence to the great ally on whose assistance so much depended but time was deemed of such importance to an army which could not be kept long together that this advice was overruled and it was determined to commence the siege immediately august twelfth. before this determination could be executed a furious storm blew down all the tents rendered the arms unfit for immediate use, and greatly damaged the ammunition, of which fifty rounds had just been delivered to each man. The soldiers, having no shelter, suffered extremely, and several perished in the storm, which continued three days. Fifteenth, General Sullivan laid siege to Newport, on the return of fair weather the siege was commenced, and continued without any material circumstance for several days, as no intelligence had been received from the admiral, the situation of the american army was becoming very critical on the evening of the nineteenth their anxieties were relieved for a moment by the reappearance of the french fleet the two admirals desirous the one of gaining and the other of retaining the advantage of the wind had employed two days in manoeuvring without coming to action both fleets dispersed by a storm towards the close of the second they were on the point of engaging when they were separated by the violent storm which had been felt so severely on shore and which dispersed both fleets some single vessels afterwards fell in with each other but no important capture was made and both fleets retired in a very shattered condition the one to the harbour of new york and the other to that of newport d'estaing returns to newport and against the solicitations of sullivan sails for boston a letter was immediately dispatched by d'estaing to sullivan informing him that in pursuance of orders from the king and of the advice of all his officers he had taken the resolution to carry the fleet to boston his instructions directed him to sail for boston should his fleet meet with any disaster or should a superior british fleet appear on the coast this communication threw sullivan and his army into despair general greene and the marquis de lafayette were directed to wait on the admiral with a letter from sullivan remonstrating against this resolution and to use their utmost endeavours to induce him to change it they represented to him the certainty of carrying the garrison if he would cooperate with them only two days urged the impolicy of exposing the fleet at sea in its present condition represented the port of boston as equally insecure with that of newport and added that the expedition had been undertaken on condition that the french fleet and army should cooperate with them that confiding in this cooperation they had brought stores into the island to a great amount and that to abandon the enterprise in the present state of things would be a reproach and disgrace to their arms to be deserted at such a critical moment would have a pernicious influence on the minds of the american people and would furnish their domestic woes as well as the common enemy with the means of animadverting severely on their prospects from an alliance with those who could abandon them under circumstances such as the present they concluded with wishing that the utmost harmony and confidence might subsist between the two nations and especially between their officers and entreated the admiral if any personal indiscretions had appeared in conducting the expedition not to permit them to prejudice the common cause whatever impression these observations may have made on the count they could not change the determination he had formed general greene in his representation of this conversation stated that the principal officers on board the fleet were the enemies of d'estaing he was properly a land officer and they were dissatisfied with his appointment in the navy determined to thwart his measures and to prevent as far as could be justified his achieving any brilliant exploit they availed themselves of the letter of his instructions and unanimously persevered in advising him to relinquish the enterprise and sail for boston he could not venture with such instructions to act against their unanimous opinion and although personally disposed to re-enter the harbour declined doing so and sailed from the island on the return of green and lafayette sullivan made yet another effort to retain the fleet he addressed a second letter to the admiral pressing him in any event to leave his land forces the bearer of this letter was also charged with a protest signed by all the general officers in rhode island except lafayette the only effect of which was to irritate d'estaing who proceeded without delay on his voyage to boston in consequence of the departure of the french fleet sullivan raises the siege of newport thus abandoned by the fleet sullivan called a council of general officers who were in favor of attempting an assault if five thousand volunteers who had seen nine months service could be obtained for the enterprise but the departure of the fleet had so discouraged the militia that this number could not be procured and in a few days the army was reduced by desertion to little more than five thousand men as the british were estimated at six thousand it was determined to raise the siege and retire to the north end of the island there to fortify and wait the result of another effort to induce d'estaing to return august twenty eighth in the night of the twenty eighth the army retired by two roads leading to the works on the north end of the island having its rear covered by colonels livingston and lawrence who commanded light parties on each august twenty ninth early next morning the retreat was discovered by the british who followed in two columns and were engaged on each road by livingston and lawrence who retreated slowly and kept up the action with skill and spirit until the english were brought into the neighborhood of the main body of the americans drawn up in order of battle on the ground of their encampment the british formed on quaker hill a very strong piece of ground something more than a mile in front of the american line sullivan's rear was covered by strong works and in his front rather to the right was a redoubt in this position, the two armies cannonaded each other for some time, and a succession of skirmishes was kept up in front of both lines until about two in the afternoon. When the British advanced in force, attempted to turn the right flank, and made demonstrations of an intention to carry the redoubt in front of the right wing. Action between Sullivan and the British army, General Greene, who commanded that wing, advanced to its support and a sharp engagement was continued for about half an hour when the british retreated to quaker hill the cannonade was renewed and kept up intermingled with slight skirmishing until night according to the return made by general sullivan his loss in killed wounded and missing was two hundred and eleven that of the british as stated by general pigott amounted to two hundred and sixty august thirty the next day the cannonade was renewed but neither army was inclined to attack the other the british waited for reinforcements and sullivan had at length determined to retire from the island the commander-in-chief had observed some movements among the british transports indicating the embarkation of troops and had suggested to sullivan the necessity of securing his retreat a fleet of transports soon put to sea with a large body of troops of which immediate notice was given to sullivan in a letter recommending his retreat to the continent this reinforcement which consisted of four thousand men commanded by sir henry clinton in person was delayed by adverse winds until the letter of general washington was received and the resolution to evacuate the island was taken the whole army passed over to the continent unobserved by the enemy and disembarked about tiverton by two in the morning sullivan retreats with army to the continent never was retreat more fortunate sir henry clinton arrived the next day and the loss of the american army would have been inevitable the complete success of this expedition had been confidently anticipated throughout america and the most brilliant results had been expected from the capture of so important a part of the british army as the garrison of newport the chagrin produced by disappointment was proportioned to the exultation of their hopes in general orders issued by sullivan soon after the departure of d'estaing sullivan in one of his general orders makes use of expressions which offend the count he permitted some expressions to escape him which were understood to impute to the count d'estaing and to the french nation an indisposition to promote the interests of the united states these insinuations wounded the feelings of the french officers and added in no small degree to the resentments of the moment in subsequent orders the general sought to correct this indiscretion and alleged that he had been misunderstood by those who supposed him to blame the admiral with whose orders he was unacquainted of whose conduct he was consequently unable to judge he also stated explicitly the important aids america had received from france aids of which he ought not to be unmindful under any disappointment and which should prevent a too sudden censure of any movement whatever count d'estaing expresses to congress his dissatisfaction with general sullivan the count d'estaing on his part addressed a letter to congress containing a statement of all the movements of his fleet subsequent to its arrival on the coast in which his chagrin and irritation were but ill-concealed in congress after approving the conduct of sullivan and his army an indiscreet proposition was made to inquire into the causes of the failure of the expedition but this was set aside by the previous question in the first moments of vexation and disappointment general sullivan had addressed some letters to the governor of rhode island complaining bitterly of being abandoned by the fleet these dispatches were transmitted by the governor to the speaker of the assembly and were on the point of being submitted publicly to the house when they were fortunately arrested by general greene who had been introduced on the floor and placed by the side of the chair and to whom they were shown by the speaker the discontent in new england generally and in boston particularly was so great as to inspire fears that the means of repairing the french ships would not be supplied to guard against the mischief which might result from this temper as well as for other objects general hancock had repaired from camp to boston and lafayette had followed him on a visit to d'estaing the consequences to be apprehended from this unavailing manifestation of ill temper soon induced all reflecting men to exert themselves to control it general washington labours to heal these discontents in which he succeeds in the commencement of its operation general washington foreseeing the evils with which it was fraught had laboured to prevent them he addressed letters to general sullivan to general heath who commanded at boston and to other individuals of influence in new england urging the necessity of correcting the intemperance of the moment and of guarding against the interference of passion with the public interest soon after the transmission of these letters he received a resolution of congress directing him to take every measure in his power to prevent the publication of the protest entered into by the officers of sullivan's army in his letter communicating this resolution he said the disagreement between the army under your command and the fleet has given me very singular uneasiness the continent at large is concerned in our cordiality and it should be kept up by all possible means consistent with our honour and policy first impressions you know are generally longest retained and will serve to fix in a great degree our national character with the french in our conduct towards them we should remember that they are a people old in war very strict in military etiquette and apt to take fire when others scarcely seem warm permit me to recommend in the most particular manner the cultivation of harmony and good agreement and your endeavors to destroy that ill-humour which may have found its way among the officers it is of the utmost importance too that the soldiers and the people should know nothing of this misunderstanding or if it has reached them that means may be used to stop its progress and prevent its effects in a letter to general green after expressing his fears that the seeds of dissension and distress might be sown between the troops of the two nations he added i depend much on your temper and influence to conciliate that animosity which i plainly perceive by a letter from the marquis subsists between the american and french officers in our service this you may be assured will extend itself to the count and to the officers and men of his whole fleet should they return to rhode island unless a reconciliation shall have taken place The Marquis speaks kindly of a letter from you to him on this subject. He will therefore take any advice from you in a friendly way, and if he can be pacified the other French gentlemen will of course be satisfied, since they look up to him as their head. The Marquis grounds his complaint on a general order of the 24th of August and upon the universal clamor that prevailed against the French nation. I beg you will take every measure to keep the protest entered into by the general officers from being made public. Congress, sensible of the ill consequences that will flow from our differences being known to the world, have passed the resolve to that purpose. Upon the whole, my dear sir, you can conceive my meaning better than I can express it, and I therefore fully depend on your exerting yourself to heal all private animosities between our principal officers and the French, and to prevent all illiberal expressions and reflections that may fall from the army at large the general also seized the first opportunity to recommence his correspondence with the count and his letters without noticing the disagreement which had taken place were calculated to soothe every angry sensation which might have been excited a letter from the admiral stating the whole transaction was answered by general washington in a manner so perfectly satisfactory that the irritation which threatens such serious mischief appears to have entirely subsided congress also in a resolution which was made public expressed their perfect approbation of the conduct of the count and directed the president to assure him in the letter which should transmit it that they entertained the highest sense of his zeal and attachment these prudent and temperate measures restored harmony to the allied armies the storm under which the french fleet had suffered so severely did considerable damage also to that of lord howe the british however had sustained less injury than the french and were soon in a condition to put again to sea having received information that the count d'estaing had made for boston lord howe sailed for the same port in the hope of reaching it before him but in this he was disappointed on entering the bay he found the french fleet already in Nantasket road where such judicious dispositions had been made for its defence that he relinquished the idea of attacking it and returned to new york lord howe resigns command of the british fleet where he resigned the command of to admiral Gambier, who was to retain it till the arrival of admiral byron finding that general sullivan had retreated to the continent sir henry clinton returned to new york leaving the command of the troops on board the transports with major general gray who was directed to conduct an expedition to the eastward as far as buzzard's bay september five gray entered a Cushnet river where he destroyed a number of privateers with their prizes and some merchant vessels he also reduced part of the towns of bedford and fairhaven to ashes in which some military and naval stores had been collected the troops re-embarked the next day before the militia could be assembled in sufficient force to oppose them and sailed to martha's vineyard where they destroyed several vessels and some salt works and levied a heavy contribution of livestock on the inhabitants while so large a detachment from the british army was depredating the coasts of new england preparations were making in new york for some distant expedition and many were of opinion that the french fleet was its object to be in readiness to oppose a combined attack by sea and land on the fleet general gates was directed with three brigades to proceed by easy marches as far as danbury in connecticut and washington moved northward to fredericksburg while general putnam was detached with two brigades to the neighbourhood of west point and general McDougall with two others to join general gates at danbury September 22, soon after the return of General Gray from New England, the British army moved up the North River on each side in great force. The column on the west side, commanded by Lord Cornwallis, consisting of about 5,000 men, took a position with its right on the river and its left extending to Newbridge on the Hackensack, while the other division, which was commanded by General Niphausen, consisting of about 3,000 men, was advanced about the same distance on the east side of the Hudson the command of the river enabled these two columns to communicate freely with each other and at any time to reunite although general washington conjectured that this movement was made for the purpose of foraging yet it was possible that the passes in the highlands might be its object and orders were given to the detachments on the lines to hold themselves in readiness to anticipate the execution of such a design colonel baylor with his regiment of cavalry had crossed the hackensack early in the morning of the twenty seventh of september and taken quarters at naupan or Herringtown, a small village near new tarpan where some militia were posted immediate notice of his position was given to lord cornwallis who formed a plan to surprise and cut off both the cavalry and militia the party designed to act against colonel baylor was commanded by general gray and that against the militia by lieutenant colonel campbell september twenty eighth that part of the plan which was to be executed by campbell was defeated by delays in passing the river during which a deserter gave notice of his approach and the militia saved themselves by flight but the corps commanded by general gray guided by some of the country people eluded the patrols got into the rear of the sergeant's guard which had been posted at a bridge over the hackensack cut it off without alarming baylor colonel baylor's regiment surprised and completely surprised his whole regiment the british troops rushed into a barn where the americans slept and refusing to give quarter bayoneted for a time all they saw of one hundred and four privates, sixty-seven were killed wounded and taken the number of prisoners amounting to about forty is stated to have been increased by the humanity of one of gray's captains who notwithstanding his orders gave quarter to the whole of the fourth troop colonel baylor and major clough who were both wounded with the bayonet the first dangerously the last mortally were among the prisoners september thirty captain denop with his corps attacked by colonel butler and defeated three days after this affair colonel richard butler with a detachment of infantry assisted by major lee with a part of his cavalry fell in with a small party of chasseurs and yeagers under captain Dunop, which he instantly charged and without the loss of a man killed ten on the spot and took the officer commanding the chasseur and eighteen of the yeagers prisoners only the extreme roughness of the country which impeded the action of the cavalry and prevented part of the infantry from coming up enabled a man of the enemy to escape some interest was taken at the time in this small affair because it seemed in some measure to revenge the loss of colonel Baylor. after completing their forage the british army returned to new york expedition of the british against egg harbor this movement had been in part designed to cover an expedition against little egg harbor which was completely successful and the works and storehouses at the place as well as the merchandise and vessels were entirely destroyed it has been already stated that count pulaski had been appointed general of the american cavalry the dissatisfaction given by this appointment to the officers had induced him to resign his commission but thirsting for military fame and zealous in the american cause he obtained permission to raise a legionary corps which he officered chiefly with foreigners and commanded in person in this corps one juliet a deserter had been admitted as an officer the count had been ordered to march from trenton towards little egg harbor and was lying eight or ten miles from the coast when this juliet again deserted carrying with him intelligence of pulaski's strength and situation pulaski surprised and his infantry cut off a plan was formed to surprise him which succeeded completely so far as respected his infantry who were put to the bayonet the british accounts of this expedition assert that the whole corps was destroyed pulaski stated his loss at about forty and averred that on coming up with his cavalry to the relief of his infantry he repulsed the enemy it is probable that the one account diminishes the importance of this enterprise as much as the other magnifies it october twelfth admiral byron reached new york and took command of the fleet about the middle of september after repairing his shattered vessels he sailed for the port of boston soon after his arrival in the bay fortune disconcerted all his plans a furious storm drove him out to sea and damaged his fleet so much that he found it necessary to put into the port of rhode island to refit this favorable moment was seized by the count d'estaing who sailed on the third of november for the west indies thus terminated an expedition from which the most important advantages had been anticipated a variety of accidents had defeated plans judiciously formed which had every probability in their favor the marquis de lafayette ambitious of fame on another theatre was desirous of returning to france expecting war on the continent of europe he was anxious to tender his services to his king and to his native country from motives of real friendship as well as of policy general washington was desirous of preserving the connection of this officer with the army and of strengthening his attachment to america he therefore expressed to congress his wish that lafayette instead of resigning his commission might have unlimited leave of absence to return when it should be convenient to himself and might carry with him every mark of the confidence of the government this policy was adopted by congress in its full extent the partiality of america for lafayette was well placed never did a foreigner whose primary attachments to his own country remained undiminished feel more solicitude for the welfare of another than was unceasingly manifested by this young nobleman for the united states there being no prospect of an active winter campaign in the northern or middle states and the climate admitting of military operations elsewhere a detachment from the british army consisting of five thousand men commanded by major general grant sailed early in november under a strong convoy for the west india islands and towards the end of the same month another embarkation was made for the southern parts of the continent this second detachment was commanded by lieutenant colonel campbell who was escorted by commodore hyde parker and was destined to act against the southern states december as a force sufficient for the defense of new york yet remained the american army retired into winter quarters the main body was cantoned in connecticut on both sides the north river about west point and at middlebrook light troops were stationed nearer the lines and the cavalry were drawn into the interior to recruit the horses for the next campaign the distribution the protection of the country the security of important points and a cheap and convenient supply of provisions were consulted the troops again wintered in huts but they were accustomed to this mode of passing that inclement season though far from being well clothed their condition in that respect was so much improved by supplies from france that they disregarded the inconveniences to which they were exposed chapter two